What does it mean Messiah matters? It means apart from him we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It's Wednesday, September 26, 2018. This is Messiah Matters number 235. Just now realizing my shirt needs an iron really bad. My name is Caleb Hegg, and with me, a man that is going to be teaching first century Judaism's this quarter at Torah Resource Institute, a Rob Banhoff. What up, Rob? Hey. Hug Sameach. Hug Sameach. I should say, that means happy festival or a good Happy good Sukkot. Yeah, happy Sukkot. Uh, I should say that uh, we're, you'll be teaching that class if enough people sign up. Low registration in, in that class. Yeah, right now, people just, uh, I'm not feeling the love, Caleb. Well, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it was a good class. I took it. I, uh, I benefited. Yeah, but at- on the flip side, our first year <laughs> Greek class. Which is, that's the one, you know, people are more hesitant, it seems. It's you know, cracking right now. Uh, it's it's going to be an awesome class. So excited for so, Greek. So first century Judaisms, though, I actually went on like a one-year tangent because of that class. That got me into Jewish mysticism, essentially. I started mm-hmm. studying, I wrote a paper for that class. <clears throat> Pardon me. I wrote a paper for that, that class called, um, let's see here, uh, Megatron... Bumblebee, yeah, yeah, yeah. Metatron, Optimus Vega, uh, Prime, and Metatron, one of these things does not belong. <clears throat> Pardon me. And uh, because of that, I went on this like uh, this one-year tangent of, of Jewish mysticism that, uh, that really actually benefited my understanding of, of well, Judaism, modern-day Judaism um, as a whole. And so that, that was really good. It was, I, I really loved that class. It was a good one. How you been, man? You been spending time in the sukkah or what? Oh, yeah. I would have liked to have, uh, I'm hearing an echo in my voice, but to uh, broadcast from our Sukkot, but I don't have, if out there I don't have internet, which is a good thing. You know, it's good to, because I'm a book guy. Right. I, I prefer books, so it, it's kind of a, a nice disconnect in a way, even though I'm not very far from the house. <laughs> Erna Draper asks, where do I get that paper? That paper was turned into a different paper. Um, which is can be found in Torah Resource in the Torah Resource uh, in the well, let's just turn it into the into the this what we do. Uh, Messiah Matters brought to you by Torah Resource. You can find that paper totally free in uh, in the article section on TorahResource.com. Go to TorahResource.com, then hover over Library, go down to Articles. All of those articles are free. If you just put in Metatron. Metatron into a uh, search on our site. That paper should come up. And basically, I uh, what I attempt to do in that paper is trace um, the. I think that paper's up. 
You know what? Uh, so uh, one of our one of the guys who helps produce well, this show, and you did some teaching in the Philippines, I think, that reflects some of the same right. Yes, topics I did. that people could find on on the, your YouTube channel. I think that's right. So um, one of the one of the people who helps uh, actually produce like boots on the ground produce this show every single week is Michael Gonzalez. And he is actually on vacation for Sukkot, which is great. We're happy that he's on vacation um, and getting some much needed rest and some time with his uh, family. But because of that, um, he's usually the guy who is monitoring the chat room, kicking people out of the chat room if they need to get kicked out. The bouncer. The bouncer. And then he's also, um, he also is the one who will normally find those kind of articles and then post them into the chat room uh, for people to be able to download. I'm sorry. We'll have to go back and do that later. Um, but I'm pretty sure if you look, uh, if you put Metatron into a search uh, on our site, TorahResource.com, you'll find it. Um, we should also say, no, we've already talked in this show <laughs> very quickly. We already talked about. I think the Transformers movie uh, has a link to our. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, website has a link to our website. Yeah. So uh, we already talked that uh, that Rob has uh, beginning Greek, which if you if you're at all interested, sign up now. And the reason why is because it is a difficult class, but we only offer it to start once every year. And that's in the fall quarter. And the reason why is because it goes for three quarters. So if you're going to start, you have to start. And there's an opportunity to continue and do a a three quarters of a second year additionally. That's right. But But the ultimate point is if you're going to sign up to take first year Greek with Rob, you're going to want to do that basically right now. So, um, but he's also teaching, Rob is also teaching uh, first century Judaism. This all starts on October 2nd. So now's the time to sign up. And on October 2nd, this show goes with, um, is on the same schedule as the Torah Resource Institute school. So if you want to become accredited producer of this show, that means to become an executive producer or... For the fall quarter? Yeah, for the fall quarter or an associate producer, you can do so. Um, and all of the information's up. If you sign up now, then uh, then basically it'll you'll, you'll be a producer for um, the fall quarter, which will start on October 2nd. So I highly recommend you do that. Okay. And of course, always our, our producers, our, our uh, I'm sorry, our supporters, um, we thank you very much. We love our supporters and uh, we couldn't do the show without you. You can support the show for as little as $5 a month. As little as a latte. Okay, well. well I, can I have a little footnote on the Greek class? Please. I think we've talked about this, you know, around the around the uh, the tangential kind of rabbit trails. But just a t- uh, conversation I had with someone the other day was it, uh, they, sh- they were honest. They shared that they had a, um, I don't know if they used the word repulsion or like hesitancy about Greek because it represents... Greek philosophy and assimilation away from God's commandments. There's memory of like the Maccabees, the Greeks coming in and trying to destroy. Can the I Jews. ask you a question about this person? And I don't want to know who the person is. Oh, go ahead. Does the person speak or read or can translate Hebrew? No, not neither. Well, yeah, I mean, and so so come the, on the, then. What I tried to realize is that that's that's. I think that's. And this goes back to a couple of weeks ago, we did that Hebrew versus Greek mindset. Right. And we tried to clarify what, when we talk about Greek mindset, we're not just talking, it's not a bash of the Greek language. It has to do with specific um, philosophical worldviews of like, <clears throat> you know, the, the, the Platonic idea of an ideal over against the, re, uh, what we call the, the real or whatever, this sort of thing. 
Um, The language itself, there's no, and, you know, Acts chapter two came up and I said, yeah, you know, in Acts two, it's not that all these people from around the world all of a sudden understood Hebrew or Aramaic or whatever. They understood in their own language. And that's an important lesson for us that, that God is able to accomplish through language and what usually happens, and this is, is uh, the language becomes Jewish, right? So Aramaic was not a, a an inherently Jewish language, but it right. became a Jewish language. Um, Greek, so the Greek that we teach in first year Greek is uh, what we call Koine, but it really is, it's Jewish Koine Greek. Okay. It's Jewish Greek because it's, uh, and Dr., the re- one of the reasons we chose Dr. Mounts's uh, uh, curriculum is because he draws on all these the Septuagint, as in some of the exercises, you're translating from the Greek Torah, from the Greek Proverbs and the Psalms and the, the prophets. And those are official, those are Jewish translations. So it's not, uh, there's not any assimilation there. Their um, language itself is uh, more or less new, uh, theologically neutral, I think, right. as a general principle. So, so if you've, if you've thought about studying Greek, but you've been held back out of this idea that, oh, it's not, it's not really scriptural or it's going to somehow make my brain uh, think wrong thoughts about God. That I, I would just say, you know, let those fears aside. There's no, when, if you investigate them, there's really no substance to that. Right. Um, Jews spoke Greek for hundreds of years, and it was only later that ideologically— by the time of the Babylonian, after the time of the Babylonian Talmud, it ended up being, oh, you know, and why? Well, that's because a lot of the Greek-speaking Jews uh, became believers in Yeshua. So right. anyway, just an extended footnote there. Okay, so we're going to get into some more um, theological things here. And before we do, don't forget to give us a call, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205, as we say every time. That's not going to, you're not going to get an answer from us or anything like that. It's an answering machine. So you can call and you can yell and uh, scream. You can uh, love on us. You can do whatever you want. You can tell us how you think we're right or wrong or whatever. Um, you can also send us emails, cheg at torresource.com. It's cheg at torresource.com. I've been getting some interesting emails this past week, as Rob heard yesterday. <laughs> um, anyway, feel free to uh, use use my email address. I love hearing from everybody, and um, yeah, okay, let's get into it. So last week, uh, let's do this first because this will just be really quick, and I want to explain what's in the show notes for the people who um, get the show notes, and you can get show notes on our page, com, and then um, slash Messiah Matters. I think there's no dash. It might be Messiah dash matters. Anyway, um, so we talked last week about... Um, Mr. Jeff Durbin, and uh, I have great respect for Mr. Durbin in much of what he says and and, uh, much of what he teaches, and so, um, but at the same time, obviously, Mr. Durbin and myself are going to disagree on certain things, and we highlighted one of those disagreements last week, um, talking about his uh, his comment that if you are trying to resurrect uh, the food laws or other laws that of the Torah that were meant to point to the Messiah... I want to be careful because I want to make sure that I'm, I'm uh, using the language he used, that you are in capital H heretic land or, you know, in that you're, you're close to being capital H heretic. And so we talked about that. And uh, so I sent that last week's show. I sent that to Mr. Durbin through Facebook, and then I sent it also to his church. Uh, he's the pastor of Apologia Church 
in, um, I believe it's Tucson, Arizona. And um, I wrote and said, I don't expect you to watch this. I Because, you know what, honestly, people send me, um, they send me videos that are an hour long, pretty much two to three to four times a day. I'll get things like that. So I don't have time to, to, you know, unfortunately, I wish I did, but I don't have time to just sit down and watch YouTube all day long. That would be nice, but <laughs> I don't. So I don't expect Mr. Durbin to sit down and watch uh, our show either. Um, but actually, uh, someone at Apology of Church actually got back to me. They said Mr. Durbin is um, away on a, uh, on a mission trip right now. And uh, this is the response that they gave me. They said, um, and very respectful, by the way, uh, I was, I was uh, delighted to have this interaction with uh, whoever it was who was responding to me. They said, hey, Caleb, I listened to about 15 minutes. Respectfully, it is clear that you are not aware of our position or where Jeff is coming from. I would encourage you to think about taking this show down and doing more research before trying to respond. I mean this with no ill will or disrespect, but you made a lot of false assumptions in just a short section I watched. A little homework will go a long way. I very much appreciate the kindness with which you spoke, but just to be honest, I was hard to, it was hard to watch because of all of the assumptions you made. For your own credibility, I'd encourage you to consider this God bless. Now, after this, uh, the person then uh, sent me a link, which is in your show notes. Um, and the link is to a search on the Apologia Church website or Apologia Radio website. And uh, all the person did was search law and then uh, posted a link to the search results. And there is a substantial amount that Mr. Durbin has done on the law. And I will openly and, and thankfully say that, um, unlike many Christians, Mr. Durbin is uh, very what I would call pro-law in what he says a lot of the time. So he's fought for the idea that um, the law is not done away with. He's fought for the idea, and I, I spent about three and a half hours yesterday uh, listening to Mr. Durbin speak on law. Um, he has been in debates defending the idea that Christians should keep the law, um, so on and so forth. So there's a huge amount of, of uh, that I, there's, there's credibility that I can give to Mr. Durbin in that a lot of what he has said and a lot of what he has uh, fought for, I would agree with, right? I would say yes, but I'll give you one example. So um, I listened to one of the shows that he did, and I think it was actually the most recent one that came up in that search. And for the whole show, for about an hour, he's talking about law and how it's good and, and uh, all these kind of things. And then he says, you know, it's not we as, as Christians keep Passover. And I thought, well, great. That's awesome. But then in the same breath, he says, we don't take the leaven out of our house. Instead, now we take the malice out of our lives. Paul tells us, you know, therefore take malice out of your heart. So that's how, so it's almost this double speak because, and once again, well, I well it's to, allegory. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's trying to like, out, but, but this is the interesting thing about what he's doing. He's saying that it wasn't allegory before Christ came, but then it became allegory. So now we do it in the heart. It's not all of it, but parts of it we do in the heart. And, you know, he, he's real big on, on Matthew 5, 17, not the least of these commandments. Well, is taking leaven out of your house one of the least of these commandments? I would say if it is one of the least of these commandments, Yeshua tells us, don't even think that it's done away with. Not until heaven and earth pass away. 
And so the idea that this all becomes allegory, and maybe not all, maybe that's too broad of a statement for what Mr. Durbin believes and, and teaches, but the idea that if I keep a kosher diet and I teach others that they need to be keeping a kosher diet because that's what scripture says, or that you should be keep taking the leaven out of your house during Passover because that's what the scripture says, or that you should circumcise your son on the eighth day because that's what scripture says, guess what? He's putting me in capital H heretic land. This is double speak. Well, it divides the person. Right. It divides the person to your true personhood is not in this world. Right. And there's a, and, and and in one Yeshua says be in this world but not of this world. What does that mean? Does that well he he said for example you've when he's kind of castigating the Pharisees, I think it's is it Matthew 23, you leave the um you neglect the weightiest matters of the Torah and and even though you tithe minute things like even your cumin you're tithing right all right. this dill and, and cumin um, and he says you should do all of it you should it's not that you should just do the weightiest matters of the Torah which is love of God etc but you and uh, what does he say and you and not leave the other undone so um, yeah, that's a challenge. We, well, we, there is a strong, and I can understand how that you could say this could be the uh, one example of what we would think Greek, Greek philosophical thought providing a framework wherein someone says, oh, you know, it's just, uh, um, we have the same thing in Philo. I think it's in Philo, that where Philo talks about Jews who were, thinking that circumcision was just a philosophical uh, uh, distinction between things that are good and true over the, the lusts of the flesh. And so, right. so you didn't really have to physically circumcise because it was just a, I mean, so that we've had that for, for 2000 years, you know, at least, but even before that Isaiah one, right? Well, it, but yeah, but he says, the, don't bring, you're doing the outside things. You're bringing these offerings, but your hands are, you're morally corrupt. It's not right. Right. So Isaiah saying, you need the, it's all love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. Here's it's the a thing. Full meal deal. Here's the thing. I don't want, I certainly do not want to represent another brother's p position. And especially on something when it comes to the scripture itself and, um, you know, uh, what the, per, what another brother in the Lord would say about. You know, I'm not sitting here saying Mr. Durbin is a capital H heretic, but at the same time, I do. And, and so therefore, I, I want to be careful about how I represent what he has said and what he is saying. And maybe I have parts of it wrong. I'm happy to say that. But the point is, is that when you say if you keep the kosher laws and you teach other people to, to keep the kosher laws, as found in Le Leviticus 11, you're in capital H heretic land. Guess what? Now you're talking about me and many Do you other have that clip still. Yeah, of course I have that clip. He says, he says something about it, uh, rebuild. Uh, if you have it handy, let's listen to it again. Okay. Just that part where, yep. Here we go. Are there things in God's law in the old Testament that we are not to observe today? Yes. If you are erecting the dietary restrictions of the Old Testament law, you are in big H heresy. Okay, that's it. So he used, uh, if you are erecting the dietary laws. Well, As if they've been put to death. 
So yeah, so the With implication is, there, is, there's a false theological guessing. presumption right. that anybody who says what he just said made, which is that they were torn down. Right. Right. That, so, that's the, that's the, the, that's a presumption that he makes. That's, that's not the onus is not on us to, you know, the scripture, uh, makes it very clear, you know? Um, so, yeah, so I, 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 once again, I, I appreciate, um, whoever was on the other end of the emails from Apologia uh, Church. I, they were very kind and gracious and, uh, I appreciate, uh, the way that they interacted and as I've said already, I'm happy to um, to discuss with them or with Mr. Durbin any mis- misrepresentations that I may have given. I certainly did not want to misrepresent Mr. Durbin. However, at the same time, from his own mouth, uh, I think that he's clearly calling me and you Big H heretics. Um, and so that's, you know, what are we supposed to do with that? I, I don't think that that's a misconception. And if it is, I would love to know. That's all there is to it. Okay, let's move on. Um, and by and by the way, uh, just so everyone is clear, Apologia Church and Mr. Durbin have my information. They can get a hold of me if they would right, like to clarify right. anything. Right. Um, this, I have another... this will. I don't know if we're going to get to our First Timothy four passage today, but um, it will dovetail into that. Okay. You, well, you want to do that now? Well, let's, because I know we're, we're leaving the title of the show today <laughs> a little bit. I'll just share it. So we had a visitor locally here on, on a couple Shabbats ago, and they were there because they were invited, but they were not, uh, you know, um, every reason to believe that they're Bible-believing family, um, uh, well-read uh, individual, and he had a big, you know, ESV with lots of, his own personal marks in it and underlines. And um, he said, you know, I'm happy to, to come and visit on Shabbat, but, but this is kind of like he, and he alluded to Paul saying, I just, you know, become all things to all men. In other words, what it, what it meant and, you know, he's just being respectful. He says, from my view, this calling this a Sabbath and setting it apart is fine, but it's of no consequence to me because I, I will, uh, shapeshift into any kind of situation, right? And but he opened the book to First Timothy four, and he's like, "Okay, well, here you go." Like I think you know the food laws are done away, and so he First Timothy four, it says, uh, I can read here from the Net Bible. This is the first five verses. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will desert the faith and occupy themselves with deceiving spirits, demonic teachings, and this is the net, yeah, verse 2, influenced by hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. Verse 3, they will prohibit marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Verse 4, for every creation of God is good, and no food is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Verse five: For it is sanctified by God's word and by prayer, and so he just took it for granted that this means that a person who can eat whatever they want and God doesn't care as long as they as long as they're thankful for it. Um, and I wanted to just you know, and so we 
the nature, you know, you've got kids, you've got all sorts of things going right. on. He was trying to watch over his family while we're having this discussion. So there was um, kind of short attention span. So it ended up bouncing all over. But after, subsequently, I've been reflecting on this verse, and it occurred to me that a good, if, you, if you're ever talking with someone and they bring this verse to you and, and are suggesting that the meaning is that God did away with whatever he said in Leviticus 11 or Deuteronomy 14, et cetera. Um, you, if you go back and just look at the context, you say, okay, so these are people, whoever these teachers are, they've deserted the faith. They're, um, they're giving credence to deceitful spirits, demonic teachings of demons. They're influenced by liars. Okay. So they're, they're not representing God's word, obviously, right? They're prohibiting marriage. Okay. And they, and, um, they abstain from food that God created to be, uh, received. Okay. So those two things, what I hear is people take the second one, abstaining from foods, and then they say, oh, you're, you don't eat pork. Oh, you're abstaining from foods. Right. But, but if we, if we set aside for a moment, the second item on the list in verse three, that foods, and just look at the prohibition of marriage. Well, what if someone someone's son wanted to marry his sister? Right. Would we? What if I prohibited that? I said, no, you can't marry your sister. And would they say the same thing? Would they quote First Timothy four and say, "You must be a false teacher. You must be um, deserting the faith, and you're following deceiving spirits because you're prohibiting a marriage." Right. Uh, and I would say, well, Leviticus. Uh, and other places say, I'll tell you, uh, forbidden relationships. Paul, even in 1 Corinthians, cites one about a, a, a man who has a relationship with his, I think, his stepmother or something like that. And he says, this is, this is absolutely uh, abominate, abomination. So if, if we just, before we move on to the second thing of the list there, foods, and we just look at prohibiting marriage, are we supposed to say that all marriage, any any relationship so doesn't matter if they're brother or sister or don't you think or, that this would don't you think that this would come back though to I mean the way that I see and you and I have talked a lot about this my father's written on this in the end of his book 10 persistent questions his last chapter I think that the way that, that this is tried to work around is oh well the moral laws of the Torah moral laws of the Torah are still in act but the ceremonial laws are not and so for some reason, everyday eating is always considered ceremonial. So in other words, eating a kosher diet is a ceremonial law. Whereas a, you know, a marriage is a moral law. And this is, I think this is the way that, that um, many, not all, but many Christians would try to navigate around this objection. It's a great, it's a great point that you're making. And once again, you know, I think that more work needs to be done. My father's done a really good job of, of highlighting certain aspects of moral, um, you know, more, quote unquote, moral laws, showing that they're actually cross that, you know, they cross over into many different realms. Um, and good scholars usually, usually will, will say, no, you can't really break things up into moral, civil and ceremonial. So, um. Oh, yeah, and and, no. in, and in the chat room we even have uh, homosexuality, right? So, in other words, if you're talking about marriage, well, if you're saying that two men can't get married, well, isn't that forbidding marriage? 
So yeah, the point, my point is, is are we using one standard of application for prohibiting marriage and then shifting the rules when we apply abstinence from foods? And, and back to my point from last week, give us the list. What's the, you know, and, and um, certain people have tried to give us the list, right? I mean, F of OZ has, has uh, done work on the Didache. Um, because basically I think, I think what they're trying to do with the Didache is say, look, this is the list for the Gentiles. This is the, the rule of law for the Gentiles. I think, I think that's the, you know, I think that's the, the, the play there on why, you know, when, when they first came out with their commentary on, on the Didache, they said the, you know, basically they were using words like the uh, lost gospel or, you know, a, la- a lost book of the Bible, which yeah, we were, I don't, I don't remember. We but, were all over that anyway. Yeah. Um, Anyway, in my view, it's, it's a completely uh, misguided uh, tour down to a dead end. They, but no one realizes it's a dead end street yet, uh, dead dead end alleyway. So we have a lot that we could talk about, and we're not going to get to all of it. Um, so maybe we'll do some Messiah Matters more uh, video, uh, do a Messiah Matters more for whatever we we don't get to. Um, we could talk about uh, Sukkot. We've gotten a lot of emails. It is Sukkot right now. For, uh, if you're watching this show later, we're in the middle of Sukkot. Gotten a lot of emails. Uh, the question continues to arise. Was Yeshua born during this time? I think it's a nice thought, but I there's, in my opinion, there's no good evidence whatsoever that, that Yeshua was born during Sukkot. He could have just as well been born in the springtime um, or even the summer. Uh, we don't We don't really know. Um, and so, you know, people have pointed to first John or not first John to John one 14, uh, and you, sh- you know, and the word became flesh and tabernacled among us is the same word that Septuagint uses for, uh, Sukkot to, you know, Sukkah to tabernacle. Um, I don't think once again, I think the point is being made that he, what dw- he dwelt with us. I don't necessarily, this is not in my opinion, a reference to, uh, him being born. And once again, I don't, you know, I don't think that it matters. I don't think it matters when Yeshua was born. That's all there is to it. Um, any, any thoughts on, on, I, I mean, and if, if people want to well, celebrate it, it as such, that that's he was fine. Born. Oh, of course. <laughs> but I mean, the, if people want to celebrate it as such, that's totally fine. I know people who even, uh, put, uh, nativity scenes in their, in their, uh, sukkahs. Uh, hey, you know, each to his own. That's and I honestly I don't have a problem with that at all. My point is not that. It's just I don't think that we can be dogmatic one way or the other of when Yeshua was born. I don't think there's any evidence. I've also heard it said that that uh, Yeshua was born in a sukkah. Uh, I I there's no evidence for that. In fact, I would say the evidence speaks against that. Um, in my personal opinion, um, what is the meaning of Sukkot? Is another question that we get. I think it's just exactly that, that, that God, that God's kingdom that will be ushered in is him dwelling with us and that this life, that's not his kingdom on earth at this point is temporary. I mean, technically speaking, we have two holidays here, right? We have the seven days of Sukkot and then the text in Leviticus is it? Yeah. Leviticus continues to say, and on the eighth day, there's two texts. There's one in Leviticus and one in Numbers. So, and then on the eighth day, so it's, you know, is the eighth day, but I think it it shows eternity. I think it shows uh, the kingdom to come. I think it shows God dwelling with us. I think it shows us that this life is but a, uh, a, 
a, you know, a speck of dust in the wind uh, that comes and goes in the grand scheme of everything. And that uh, there will come a time when we, when we uh, are dwelling in eternity with our king. Any other thoughts on that? Well, I mean, we could do a whole show on that. Right. I, I think we should get to our, our topic if we're going to do the article. Except okay. do we have other. Okay. I don't. You lead the way, my friend. <laughs> okay, so um, five reasons people leave the church. This is where we're going. Hang on just a sec. While, before we do this, if you want to become part of the conversation, here are our email address, chegatorresource.com, and our phone number is, let's do this, 253-465-3205. Okay. Um. Who's the who's the author of this? I don't have the actual article. I can pull it up real quick. This is done out by Fox News. Um, uh, it's Andy Stanley. He's Andy the guy. Stanley. He's the guy who said the church needs to unhitch itself from the Old Testament, right. like about a month or so ago. Yeah, maybe it was maybe it was in the spring. Seems like it wasn't too long ago. So Andy Stanley, you know, I know he's almost, in. I think he's in Georgia. I know he's almost like got a mega church. I know almost nothing about Andy Stanley except for watching that clip that went around the internet, you know, of him saying the church needs to unhitch itself from the Old Testament. And then this article, I, it's beyond me why Fox News would have someone like Andy Stanley write anything for them. Um, just the, 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 well, um, they don't have discern. They're not discerning. I, I, yeah, I, but he's not I, a scholar. If you're going to have somebody speak on Christianity, I would think that you'd get at least somebody with some credentials. Just because you got a big church, that's not good credentials to write anything. And what no got offense, my attention is is leaving the church, like like. Well, and because I was looking at this guy because of this other statement he made, the the unhitching. You know? the, but I mean, honestly, I, I was trying to reconcile what he's saying here with that same sentiment. I I don't think that there's there might be one good point made in this whole article. The last one. <laughs> Right? Are you thinking? Right. But but he needs to apply it over his whole hermeneutic. Okay, let's read it for the people. So the article can be found in your show notes. I linked it in your show notes. It's this is to a Fox News article by Andy Stanley, um, who in and once again, you know, I'm not trying to judge the brother in his heart, but boy, oh boy, should this guy not write uh, articles? It says anymore. okay, he's founder and pastor of North Point Ministries, author of more than 20 books. Um. So, you know, so because of this, I, I just, we don't have to read the whole thing. I was just thinking the he, he says five reasons uh, people are really leaving the church. OK, and, and but hang on just a sec. You know, honestly, let's slow down just a little bit. Honestly, because of this article and like I said, I know almost nothing about uh, Mr. Stanley himself because of this article. I will never read one of his books. Um, oh, agree. Okay, so he talks about okay the, uh, much of what makes America American Christianity so resistible to those outside the faith are things we should have been resisting all along. Well, I agree with that. While many of us have been working hard to make church more interesting, it, it turns out that fewer people are actually interested. Yeah, why do you think? Well, I think this is I, I think this is flawed. From the beginning, people, yeah, people might be uh, not interested in mainstream evangelical Christianity from the point from his point of view. But in terms of the the messianic and Hebrew roots congregations, they're overflowing. 
that's what, exactly exactly that was one thing it's like well this is the opposite of the problem of my local experience we, we oh, yeah. our problem is is the big uh, growth of how to how to be good stewards and wise um servants of of the lord in his building his ecclesia and how do we you know grow, uh do we get a bigger building or do we encourage uh replication of small I've, groups i've said this. and that's a, there's it, that's the problem so the very you're right caleb the problem that he's describing it's like he's it's and this ties back to his idea of this unhitching of the old testament it's like they totally and with the is it durbin the guy that they're almost i don't know are they absolutely blind well i think okay let's not put durbin in the same camp durbin's doing good work and he and i think that durbin's i think durbin's ministry is actually growing and once he, I've, oh, told, I've, I've told the people, I've told the people at uh, at uh, Congregation Beit Hillel, which is one of the congregations here in Tacoma. Uh, that's where my father is a, is a uh, is a leader, one of the leaders at. Um, I've to- I've said many times, as big as you make the building, that's how many people will come. If you're going to build a building, if you build it for 150 people, you have 150 people. If you build it for a thousand people, in three months you'll have a thousand people. As big as the walls are, that's how big that congregation will get. I really believe that. And it's kind of been proven. You know, the bigger the building that, that uh, we meet in, it fills up. Here are some of the things that Mr. Uh, Stanley says. This is why people are, are, and here's, I mean, obviously what we'll do is we'll go through these five things that he says. And once we're done with the five, we'll talk about why we think people are, lose, are leaving the mainstream evangelical Christian church and or Catholicism. And uh, then why we think that uh, people are flooding into uh, Messianic, Hebrew roots, and Torah-observant congregations. Number one, Mr. Stanley says, we tell people that the Bible is the basis of Christianity. Oy vey. Um, He goes on, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's a line that many who grow up in the church know by heart, and it reflects a problem in modern American Christianity. Many of us believe that the Bible is the foundation of a religion. Uh, This this is, uh, it's no wonder, this is why people are leaving the church. I recently read a blog post by a former worship leader who left the faith after she read a book proving contradictions in the Bible. He puts proving in quotations. Apparently, she grew up believing the foundation of our faith is a non-contradicting book. It's not. Jesus is. When our faith stands on anything other than Christ, we put ourselves and others in position in a in position to fall. I mean, this shows, in my opinion, his first reason is the reason I would leave his church. If you're going to degrade the Bible, if you're going to degrade the Word of God, then why would I even stay at your church? Why would I want to go somewhere that has fluff but no foundation? Here, any Here's another way to think. Exactly. Here's the other way to think about it. We're dealing with big R revelation, God's <laughs> revelation to the world. That- we don't know. Humans don't know anything about God except that he's revealed it right right and and so and there's a whole you know general revelation versus particular revelation stuff like that there's ways of trying to understand 
this the nature of God's revelation over time. But if I like the Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. That's actually a very yes, that's not in scripture true, but it's but it is true. Any any version of I, here's another way. It's just like I was listening to the beginning of our Robin Caleb show. You know, we talk about the Messiah, right? Well, what are we doing? We're just we're we're alluding to what the scripture itself testifies because we can't talk about Yeshua without using scripture. Otherwise, we're going to end up with strange. Yeah, why why would I not believe the Book of Mormon, for example? Right? Why would I not believe um, the Quran? That talks about Jesus. Well, the, but, the, but why would is, I not believe? Oh, if it's right, the, the idea is is re, the revelation cannot be separated, and and it goes back to you know we've read this I think last week, Luke twenty four. He says, "You foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken," right? And he he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. That's in Luke in John five. You believe Moses, you. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. If you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So what, what you're Luke, talking what yeah. you're talking about here is exactly the point though. As soon as as soon as Stanley degrades the scriptures and which he's done in his first statement, then Yeshua is of no importance. You can't say that the Bible has has all these flaws or that it doesn't add up or that it's got contradictions all over the place or whatever and then say, oh, but Jesus is Lord. Look at the Bible. How do we know? Look at the Bible. Well, you just you just put holes all through the argument that we can look at the Bible for any truth. And now you're going to tell me to look at the Bible for Christ. This is ridiculous. And this, in my opinion, is probably one of the biggest pastors not all, and I don't want to make blanket statements like that. Even in the chat room, we have people talking about good Christian teachers. And, you know, once again, I go back to Durbin. I go back to, you know, I go back to James White. I go back to R.C. Sprawl, who's with the Lord now, Piper, um, you know, uh, Godfrey. There's all sorts of pastors in the church that I that I respect and think have good theology. But this theology right here, this is why people are running out of the church. Is because is because these kind of pastors cannot uphold theology. They don't know theology, and they can't uphold theology, and they can't do it because they do not stand on the word of God. They have some other idea out in the out in the who knows where, where they're trying. Yeah, how are you going to talk about Jesus without the scriptures? <laughs> exactly. Well, exactly. and the idea of discipleship, right? The end of Matthew. We we can't pretend that we don't have the Bible, and somehow we can learn about Jesus without access to the scriptures because there's a chain of discipleship and faith being preached and the word of God and the translation of the word of God has gone hand in hand with that through history. Okay. So let's, let's go to number two here. Got all worked up over the first one. We're only through number one. Number two, this is from Stanley quote, they believe suffering disproves the the existence of God. Renowned new Testament scholar, Bart Ehrman, says he lost his faith and embraced atheism because of suffering in the world, and he's not the only one. But the foundation of our faith is not a world without suffering. Pain and suffering don't disprove the existence of God. It only disproves the existence of a God who doesn't allow pain and suffering. Whose God is that? Not ours. Our God promised there would be suffering until he makes all things new. Well, the the unfortunate... I agree with him that that, uh, suffering in the world does not disprove God. 
Um, but the the unfortunate part of this is that he has not uh, highlighted man's sin. There's suffering in the world because of man and because of the sin that man has, not because of God. So once again, I mean, and this is a perfect, you're writing for Fox News. It's a perfect time to give the gospel. Is there suffering in the world? Yes, because man has sinned and has not done what God says. Repent. <laughs> Turn to God. Because there will be a time when there is no suffering. Because God will make all things right and he will cover the sins of the elect. And he will cast out those who are not the righteous. I mean, this is the message that should be given. I'm not sure. I, it's, it's just a misstep. Again, a misstep. Anything else to say on number two? Um, nope. Okay, number three. They had a bad church experience. Most bad church experiences are the result of somebody uh, prioritizing a view over a over a you, something Jesus never did and instructed us not to do either. This is total nonsense. Uh, Self-righteousness and legalism are leftovers of the Old Testament laws, which Jesus replaced through his death on the cross. Relationships are messy and complicated. But if our actions are rooted in, in Jesus' command to love one another, John 13, 34, we can prevent many of the experiences that lead people away from his body. Wait so, a minute. Well, okay. Yeah, this yeah, is what we really, I, I, could, I know a lot of people. I don't know how many literally. But how many times, and maybe you too, Caleb, you hear stories of people who, yes, they had a bad church experience. But what it was is that they were saying, no, I think the Shabbat is like you know, is something that is still, a, you know, God still commands this or, you know, or maybe food, you know, or whatever. And then, and the, the host church or the, the pastor absolutely rejects that and either asks the person to leave or the person ends up leaving. Um, he doesn't put that here. The idea I think he's saying is that it's the pastor that's putting legalism on people and then the people feel uh, they don't like it and so they leave. So the, what I'm hearing him say is that it's the pastors of the churches that are self-righteous. But what in my own personal experience and people I've talked to, it's the it would be the opposite in the accusation. The accusation would be that the person going to the church became a legalist and they right. were, and therefore they moved on. The, the, um, the biggest problem he has, and once again, he's already discredited scripture in the first, in, in his first uh, point. The biggest point, he, the, the biggest problem he has is that this is simply not how scripture or Jesus, Yeshua or Paul speak. Granted, love is a highlight. But even in 1 Corinthians 13, lover of truth, right? Yeshua can, continues to bring... If, if, this is the, if this is the case, if, if what he is saying here is true, then why didn't Yeshua say, Oh, Pharisees, come to me with open arms. I'll, I'll love you. I'm not going to put any of this, you know, yes, you have these legalistic things, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embrace you. I'm going to show you what real love is. I'm the Christ, which means I can turn your heart. No. He says, you whitewashed tombs, you're vipers. You lead people astray. Oh, how you put set aside the commands of God with your own tradition. Right? This whole state, from start to finish, 
This is ridiculous. But once again, this is a low view of Scripture. You know, the, here's the thing I have to say for, the, for good Christian preachers out there. You know, and I've already mentioned, you know, you got Piper, you got James White, Durbin, you know, you, these guys. The one thing that I'll say is they have a high view of Scripture. They might not, I might not, not agree with everything they're saying. And I might think that they, they're wrong on certain points, obviously. But you know what? At least they're wrestling with it. At least they're wrestling with the text. Unlike this, this is ridiculous. This is man-made religion right here. Oh, boy. Yeah. Number four. We're bad at making people feel welcome. This is, once again, ridiculous. You know, the last church I, well, yes, I've gone to, I, I visit a lot of churches here in, in the city of Tacoma. And uh, I do so because, honestly, I'm, I'm looking for good teaching. Um, I'm, I'm also trying to make good connections with brothers and sisters in the Lord. I want to know, uh, I want to know the believing community around me. And I want to try to serve the believing community around me however I can. Um, and so I go to a lot of churches. One thing I have never felt is rejected by a church. Now, I know people have had bad experiences, but as a visitor, when I walk in, even with Zitzit on, you know, whatever, I'll walk in. The One of the last places I went gave me a free star. You know, they had like a Starbucks there in the, you know, Oh, your first That's time? my favorite kind of church that has yeah. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> your first time, here's a free, you know, get any drink you want free. We'd love to talk to you. And then, you know, people are coming up and chatting with you. Oh, here, did you know we have a small group? And, you know, I've never felt rejected when I walked in. They, usually there are large greeting communities. Park here in the very front. If you're the first time visit, you know, you get that all the time. They're trying to make people feel welcomed. And I don't think that the church is doing a bad job of that. Anyway, he says, it wasn't just his message that made Jesus irresistible. Irresistible to who? Has he read John 6? Unless you eat my, eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no place in the world to come. And many disciples left him that day. <laughs> it wasn't irresistible. What he was saying was difficult. To follow him and to embrace something new. And that the language of invitation here is this is the. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's read the whole thing. Um, it wasn't it's just an invitation you, you accept. It wasn't just his message that made uh, Jesus irresistible. It was Jesus himself. People who were nothing like him liked him. And Jesus liked people who were nothing like him. Jesus invited unbelieving, misbehaving, troublemaking men and women to follow him and to embrace something new. And they accepted his invitation. As followers of Jesus, we should be known as people who like people who are nothing like us. I have no problem with accepting people who are not like us. And not only that, but but trying to understand other people's position in life. You know, people are down on hard times. I get it. Uh, you know, pe people deal with uh, things that maybe I don't. Drug addiction or um, broken marriages or all sorts of things. I'm not saying that we should put these people out, out to pasture and say, oh, we don't we don't care about you. But the idea that, that Yeshua just walked around Judea with open arms saying, oh, I, I love everybody, that is not the message that I get. 
He said, Stanley says, when we invite unbelieving, misbehaving troublemakers to join us, they should be intrigued, if not inclined, to accept our invitation. This is also not what I see happening in the in in the book of Acts. It seems to me that they go out, they preach the the truth, people turn, and then they come into the home group. I don't see a everyone's welcome sign in front of uh, the the church in Acts. Maybe there was. I don't know. Anything else on that? Well, he uses it, you know, unbelieving, misbehaving, troublemaking. Right. And what that does, that's in our day language. It doesn't say transgressors. Right? You know, you know what I mean? Like, like sinners. So here's right? The a, issue but, here is whatever he means by misbehaving or troublemaking, you could say Yeshua was a troublemaker. Right, I mean, in in common, he turned use over the tables the in the temple. Yeah, what a troublemaker! You know, he's misbehaving. So, do we judge behavior or troublemaking off God's law or off the traditions of men? And and it seems like Stanley's got this. There's a there's a. It seems to me, his church would be kind of like going to Disney World. It, it's like an experience you go, and there's like this, you know. Uh, make-believe kind of, um, uh, I don't know, kind of thing in the air that you just, or you drink the Kool-Aid and then you're just like part of it. Um, well, Jessica in the chat room, and uh, she, she puts it perfectly, and this is essentially where we're going. Jessica knows, knows where we're going before we go there. She says, getting a free coffee mug might be welcoming, but that doesn't mean that the individual feels connected and that they belong. I agree. Let's let's go to Stanley's last point real quick, and then then we'll talk about why we think people are at, people may be leaving. And I haven't seen the actual data. People might be leaving in droves. I don't know, um, but uh, why we think people may be leaving the um, mainstream evangelical church, and also why people are are pouring into uh, the congregations that we're a part of. Uh, there's z- zero lack of of uh, new faces every week. Uh, oh my! I, yeah, I, I attend. Yeah. I attend two different groups, and uh, we see new people pretty much every week, in both groups. He said, uh, "He says uh, this is from Stanley. Quote: We made ecclesia, that is the church, a building. The word church should have never appeared in our Bibles. That's true. He's right on that. It shouldn't have become part of a Christian culture either. I also agree. It's more than a mistranslation. Uh, it represents a misdirection." Agreed. While the majority of our of your English Bible is a word-for-word translation from Greek, the term church is an exception. The term church is not a translation. It's a substitution and a misleading one at that. The term church is a derivative of German of the German term kirche, meaning house of the Lord or temple. I disagree with him on this, but there's debate on this, so I'll give him grace. I think it actually comes from kuriakos, meaning uh, belonging to Christ. Anyway, the t- uh, this term of German origin was used to interpret rather than to translate the Greek term ekklesia throughout most of the New Testament. The Greek term ekklesia is translated as church over 100 times in your English New Testament, but in Acts 19.32, a passage describing a city under uproar, it's translated differently. Quote, and then he goes on. I, I agree with him on this. I mean, this is his one good point. Sure, right. Well, but here's the thing. If he's going to use just weights and measures, <laughs> measures, he's got to talk about James 2, where James says if someone comes into your synagogue, 
Right. And that's usually translated into your assembly. Why? Why do they translate almost everywhere in the apostolic writings when they have the word uh, synagogue in Greek? They, it's translated as synagogue. Except here, in James 2.2, they don't translate it. They put, like, assembly. Right. And, and my thought is this. It's, he, needs to, he needs to think through the, the good point that he made here for number five. And the, the sound hermeneutical methodology, if I could use some big words there, the sound thinking, grounded, scripturally based thinking that puts things in its proper prioritization, if he's going to be consistent with that all the way across, I, I'm, I think he would be challenged to, uh, he would be confronted with places where his new discovery, like he has here, would undermine commitments he's made in the, that underlie his other points here. So for me, here's the overall point. I'll get there in a second. Here's how I'm going to get there. You know, um, my wife and I have decided to raise our children um, differently than a lot of people around us. And even a lot of people in the church. We homeschool our children. Um, you know, that's one of the main things that, w- that we do differently than a, a lot of people around us. However, a lot of our friends do homeschool. Um, we believe that... Uh, uh, you know, we, we uh, my parents used to have neighbors who were very liberal in their thinking, uh, and they would say uh, they would they believed it was wrong to to ever say no to their children. Well, these wow. children were the most misbehaved children I'd ever seen. They would scream at their parents. They would uh, they were stubborn. They there was a lot of yelling in in the family, even though they would never say no to their children. Okay. Uh, I, I take a totally different approach, uh, and I believe that that children need not only discipline, but they need structure, and they need, um, you know, uh, I'll give another example of what I'm trying to get at. Uh, I've met a lot of people in my life who have what I would consider identity crisis, an identity crisis. They don't know exactly where they fit. And uh, because of that, they're kind of, you know, they'll dye their hair a lot or, you know, they'll wear very uh, interesting clothes, even for today's society or um, all sorts of different things. And one of the things that they tend to be attracted to these, uh, I've seen this many times, not just two or three times. I've seen this many times. One of the things that I've seen that these people tend to be very attracted to is a strong asceticism 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 sorry so basically um you know they'll go into orthodoxy like uh christian orthodoxy or even uh rabbinic judaism or you know strong rabbinic judaism people like to be just tell me what the rules are right give me the clarity of 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 my rules and and, and, and then I'll and make sure and then help me out. Make sure I'm following all the rules. And to be honest, with and you, then I'll be a good rule keeper. And to be honest with you, for a lot of people, the stricter, the better. Even people who seem like that would not be the case. If it's if I know A, B, C, D, then great. And you know what? What the Christian church has done and what I, I should say what the mainstream evangelical church has done. 
a majority of it, not all of it, but a majority of it, has said the rules don't matter. That's legalism. Throw the Torah out. You don't need to keep any of that. And I think that that's where the church is going wrong. I think the idea that there's no rules, just love Christ. Just... You know, I could hear, like, imagine Andy Stanley, like, right where the where the Gospel of Matthew begins, right? Says, Jesus, you know, the son of David, son of Abraham. Oh, stop you right there. Don't tell me about David. Don't tell me about Abraham. Well, <laughs> Abraham uh, begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat... Uh, the 12 sons, right? Oh, stop. What? You know, it's like they want, they want Jesus, whatever that means, but they don't want the scriptures to inform. And that, that, that informed there's nothing here about covenant. There's nothing here in the, uh, 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 these five reasons why people leave the church. It makes it sound like we're just like, we need to make sure we're using the right marketing things. Right, it's a business. In order to keep people here, because keeping people is a good thing, and people leaving is a bad thing. And it's because we're doing it wrong. That's such a, a people-person view of, like, but, but, like but, we're actually building the church. No, Yeshua's building the church. I'm with you, but... What, and, well, I don't even care using the church there. Ecclesia, whatever you want to call it. So Yeshua's building it. I'm with you, but but here's the thing, in my opinion. Even people with a high view of scripture, you're still kind of tearing down scripture. Oh, well, yes, I agree that, that all of this matters, but this doesn't really matter. In other words, you don't have to keep this. People don't want that. People want the whole thing to flow together. And not only that, but they want that, they want to feel that love relationship. And that love relationship doesn't, doesn't come from lip service. That love relationship comes from a deep personal relationship, a covenantal relationship with God. And covenant has two parts. It's not just that you say something and you're part of the covenant and that's it. The covenant terms say, this is what you do. You are my people. You're different. And this is how you're different. And why I would think that people would be leaving the mainstream Christian church, evangelical Christian church or whatever, and coming into what I see as Torah communities is because people are waking up and saying, oh, my word, the whole Bible does matter. And not only does it matter, but it's wonderful. And I love to do these things. It's not that I have to. It's that I love to do these things because I'm in a love relationship with God. Back I, to Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells, tells me, me so. so. Exactly. I, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't want to hear about a Yeshua or a Jesus based on rabbinic literature or Metatron or Kabbalah or the Zohar or uh, Hasidism. Not interested. Uh, or the Book of Mormon. Right. Or um, what else is there? Any other group that has some sort of book, you know. I want to hear the Yeshua of scripture, the Yeshua that Yeshua himself talked about, starting with Moses and the prophets. Right. That says, how are you going to believe me if you don't believe Moses? Exactly. And the same way in, in Luke, he talks about Abraham, you know, the story of Lazarus, who's who goes to the bosom of Abraham where the rich man is, is being tormented. And he's like, 
well, send someone, you know, to tell my brothers. And he's like, no, if they don't believe, they have Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe somebody who rose from the dead. So what what I am left here reading this frustrating Five Reasons article is that uh, it's just, it feels like frosting on a stale cake. Like it's... Like it has some resemblance of stale frosting to somebody. Stale frosting. You know when you like bite into it and it like crunch. Ugh. It almost, ugh. Like someone actually eats it. Someone actually. I wish I had the numbers of how many people read this article. And if we could like interview every person who read this article and get their <laughs> takeaway. Like, do they agree? Do they go, oh man, Pastor Stanley. Oh, I'm so wow. Well so, said, okay. Pastor. Hey, but you know what? There, I, there's tons of look, and Stanley has a huge church. And so does Joel Osteen, right? And what what this... I don't know if anybody knows, but Caleb did give me this. Uh, yes. <laughs> this was a, a gift I got in the mail once totally randomly from Caleb. Um, so I, I have it really close by here. So, But here's the thing is that... The, Become I, a better I, you. I think that people are all about self-help. They want to be... They want, I don't want to be a better me. I, I, what I need is the old man needs. I need to learn to to discern the works of the flesh and put them to death by the power of the spirit. I completely agree with That's you. It. But but the point is, is that I think one of the re- I don't th- and I'm sure that there are true and honest believers in in both Stanley's church and Osteen's church. I'm not playing that down. No, I get it. But the point is, is that this is not. I mean, essentially, you're talking about self help. The uh, gospel, and this is not this is not the meat of of the word. And so, I I have a feeling that uh, it's like the chaff. You could throw up the you know the people in the church, and a lot of that a lot of that chaff would blow away. In the Yeshua face of, was in the, this, in, okay. Back the, to Yeshua. Back in, to the Messiah. In the face of persecution, I have and, a feeling that a lot of these people would would uh, not self help. You know, they wouldn't stand to the self-help gospel that's being preached. I, I at hope every I'm wrong, moment, but... Yeshua is confronted with the obstacle of pressure from religious groups to that he's not that. Uh, all you change your message. Um, we're gonna cap. We're gonna catch you somehow. You're transgressing our rules. You're doing it wrong, and. You know what? Even he talks about you know all these people clinging to Yeshua. Well, where was where was where was his closest disciples at the when God brought it right down to the wire? They abandoned him. Right. Even may Peter we, himself. May we never be like that. Even Peter himself. Why is that? It's because was Yeshua being disobedient, or was everybody else shown to just be a fallible, weak? depravity-based humanity. He was obedient unto death for the joy set before him. Joy, there's our, I had to get a joy theme in there for Sukkot. He was obedient and everybody else wasn't. That's that's the core point here. And if we have his life in us, then we're going to, we have that same narrow path to follow. And we each have our own cross and that might mean getting kicked out of a church it might mean doing our best to leave a church in shalom. It might mean um, uh, having, you know, just being 
a, a leader in a, in a community or a right. teacher and maybe not being confronted in these ways, but trying to help other people who are going through difficulties. I mean, it, 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 each one of us is going to be shaped uh, according to what God's plan and purpose and, and gifting is for his building project, not for our own agenda, not so that I could be a better me. I mean, that's just like, so it's so it's the same kind of thing that this Andy Stanley, that it's like sweet staleness to me. Be a better you. I mean that you could get that on Oprah. You could get that on right. any new age thing. Be a better you. But what about, no, follow Yeshua, pick, take your cross and it's going to cost everything. If you really love God, right? If you really love Yeshua, then, then it's going to cost you. Because you're going to be confronted with love of things of the world versus love of God, right? Fear of things of fear of man versus fear of God. And if you're a follower of Yeshua, you choose things pertain to the kingdom and his righteousness first and foremost, every time. Oh man. And that's the, that's the word going to divide right down between the soul and the spirit between them. Right. All that, like from Hebrews four. So, and I just, I don't get Oh, and though you're going to be blessed with the blessings of the faith of Abraham, which is the promise of the gospel that right. all the nations of the world will be blessed and you're going to be a participant. And like, like, like Yeshua says, like Matthew tells us in chapter five, many will come from the East and West sit at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom. Okay. So this is a real thing. That's the, that's how we understand who we are. All this stuff that we see with these five reasons or people worrying, oh, I can't believe you're erecting the the uh, dietary laws and now you're capital H heresy. Those people are just, they're, they're not checking every thought at the door. They're not bringing every thought in captivity to Messiah. And um, this we is should a, be, we, it's, this is, it's serious business. Once again, Jessica, uh, great comment here. And so people in the Hebrew roots are starting to read the Bible, but they don't have good teachers. And then we end up in another mess. That's exactly right. A lot of people are coming into the door of these Torah observant congregations um, and praise the Lord for that. But unfortunately, many of these Torah observant congregations are so wrapped up in their own heretical views uh, and, and have not, you know, they've, they've, they've jumped on bandwagons of teachers who are leading them astray. And this is something else we will talk about. Okay, um, good conversation. Uh, I think tomorrow morning, uh, Rob and I will probably, uh, today is Wednesday, we're back on our regular schedule. Tomorrow morning would be Thursday, um, September 27th, 2018. I'm hoping that Rob and I will get around to uh, recording a Messiah Matters More video where we'll talk about some of these other things, including hopefully Sukkot. And uh, so if you are a supporter, then uh, you can go to the Messiah Matters More page, hopefully tomorrow afternoon, and something extra will be up there for you. Everything that's new is in blue, uh, as opposed to the orange tabs. So um, click on stuff that's blue if you haven't already uh, seen it in there. Uh, we thank everyone. It was a very small showing in the chat room today, but you know what? It was a good showing and a lot of really good conversation we're happy that everybody joins us who does. And uh, yeah, all right. We hope that you're having a good Sukkot and that uh, you're learning something new. No matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, we, we pray and hope that you're learning something new. 
about God, about our Messiah Yeshua, about him dwelling with us. Um, and they, this Sukkot is doing one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters.